Hi, this is Enrique Alvarez of Vector Global Logistics. And thank you very much for listening to Logistics with Purpose. To celebrate Earth Month, we're offsetting one metric ton of carbon for any episode downloaded during April through carbonfund.org. That is carbonfund.org, up to 200 tons. We hope you take advantage of this opportunity to listen to these incredible conversations of people making a difference in their communities and around the globe. Not only will you be inspired, but you'll be protecting the planet with every download. Happy listening, and thank you for helping us change the world through supply chain. Welcome to Logistics with Purpose, presented by Vector Global Logistics in partnership with Supply Chain Now. We spotlight and celebrate organizations who are dedicated to creating a positive impact. Join us for this behind-the-scenes glimpse of the origin stories, change-making progress, and future plans of organizations who are actively making a difference. Our goal isn't just to entertain you, but to inspire you to go out and change the world. And now, here's today's episode of Logistics with Purpose. Good day and welcome to another episode of Supply Chain Now. Logistics with Purpose. My name is Enrique Alvarez, and I have an, an excellent an excellent guest today. Uh, but before we introduce her, I would like to also introduce my co-host for the day, Moni. Uh, Monica Roche. How are you doing, Moni? Hi, Enrique. Nice to be here. Doing great. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. It's, gonna, it's a great week. Olympic Games are on their way, and I think we have an amazing company that's going to be talking about a very important topic and something that everyone should and uh, need to pay attention to, because in my opinion, that would be the the uh, future of our industry and the future of the world uh, as, as we know it. So um, without further ado, actually, no, one more thing before we actually <laughs> introduce our guest is if you enjoy conversations like the one that we're going to have today, please don't forget to subscribe to Logistics with Purpose. And uh, now let me introduce you to Katharine van Orschager, commercial lead at Good Shipping. She has a very vast experience as a business developer, marketing manager, and also studied a master's degree in global management that took place in three different countries, one of them in Europe, India, and the U.S. Katharine, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Enrico and Monica, for having me. I'm doing very well. The sun is shining in Amsterdam in February, so that's a good day. <laughs> that's always a good day, isn't it? Definitely. But uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me. Happy to be here. Thanks a lot for being here. We're so excited for this. First of all, if you could share with us a couple of experiences you have while growing up, what was your childhood like? Um, I was always a very active child, uh, always uh, dancing around, very playful, uh, always been quite social. Uh, my parents always used to say I would never stop talking and asking <laughs> questions. Uh, and I think I kept that, that desire to always know with me the, the rest of my life. So yeah, active kid. <laughs> Good. What's something that inspired you? You talked a little bit about your parents. I mean, you mentioned that you were you were born and raised in Amsterdam. Is that is that correct? Is that accurate? Uh, no, I was actually born and raised in Belgium, so oh. a country just next door. Uh, born in Antwerp and spent most of like my uh, university years and early working career in Ghent, uh, which is a beautiful city in Belgium, must visit. <laughs> uh, and actually decided to move to Amsterdam a year and a half ago. Um, really a desire to do something different. I wanted a new way of living, new company, find something with purpose, uh, new place for me. So I moved to Amsterdam and that's where we are now. That's awesome. Well, and Antwerp's a big uh, port, very important logistics, as you know. Like, did you have growing up like any idea that we we're gonna 
end up in, in this industry? I mean, uh, as you grew up in, in that city? Uh, my mom always used to joke, like she still wants me to go back to Belgium. So she's like, there's a lot of jobs in the port of Antwerp, you know, uh, very clearly getting me to come back. So I've always had something with water, always lived in cities with water. Uh, and then even, yeah, like in New York as well, like all the water around me. I love it. And Sweden. Yeah, I just love places with a lot of water. Is there something that inspired you when you were young to kind of uh, that define your professional path and, and your career and where you are today? Uh, I think definitely my my godmother. Um, she's been like a second second mom to me, let's say, and she was like the head of uh, Enea Marketing at Akfa Gewerts, which was for me always, you know, like this big thing uh, that I look up to. Uh, and she definitely inspired me, like to be a strong woman in a leadership role, um, to yeah dare to take it up and to climb the ladder or whatever you want to call it, and just find a company that works for you. Um, and then yeah. For me, that's just been trying to somehow be in logistics and supply chain. I don't know why, because I come from a language background, <laughs> but I somehow fell into this. Uh, and then, yeah, just being like very green hearted. I just really wanted something with purpose. And, and that's what I've really found with Good Shipping, like a purpose driven organization. That's just awesome. And besides your godmother, was there anyone else that you looked up to, like another mentor or someone that helped you in this path? Um, I have always been a crazy fan of like La Fido. I don't know if you know it, but it's a really cool lingerie brand. It's super sustainable and it's really uh, against all norms. They're super gender fluid. Um, they really they do local sourcing and they're really trying to break this barrier of what it means to be uh, a woman actually or a man or a non-binary person wearing lingerie. Um, so people like that have, have always greatly inspired me. Uh, I met her once, <laughs> which is really wow. cool. Um, yeah. So That's exciting. Fan. I mean, yeah. it sounds like you've been always been a, a big fan of uh, renewable energy and green uh, causes and saving the planet. Um, anything else that you want to tell us about your uh, upbringing and why you're so connected to, I guess, nature? Um, it's, it's funny, actually, because I, I grew up with parents who are not that much connected with nature, <laughs> but I think it's also, also been my friends around me that took me camping um, when I was like, are you sure we're going to go camping? And <laughs> now I love it. And that uh, took me hiking and that took me to gatherings all over in Italy in the mountains. Um, it kind of grew with me. It's not like I was green from the start, but I think it's something that came with the years. Um, and I've been more vocal about what I want. I think in the past, I kind of just put it aside as my personal interests. And today I felt like let's combine work interests and personal interests. It doesn't need to be separate. You can actually yeah, make it work together. That seems like something uh, not only very important for people's success, in my opinion, but it's something that's also going to become, uh, I wouldn't call it a trend per se, but it is something important. I think that the new generations definitely have a better sense of uh, what uh, working for a purpose-driven company really entails, and they're really seeking out those jobs. Yeah, and it might be a thing of our generation, let's say, and I think our parents might just be like, oh, just work, don't care. But I, I do think I'm a child of my generation in that sense, but pr proud of it, so why not? <laughs> well, that's that's awesome and a very powerful message for anyone that's currently listening to us. And of course, we have a lot of uh, younger uh, people jumping into, well, younger both uh, uh, from an age standpoint and then at heart, but people that are jumping into logistics and are jumping into this industry. And I think the industry is ready to to really change, right? It's one of those industries that have been around for forever. But tell us a little bit more about your professional journey. Tell us a little bit more about your career. What did you study? And, uh, and then I'll ask you a couple of questions about your amazing probably uh, uh, 
a master's degree in three different continents. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I've always been really into literature and growing up a crazy fan of the English language. Um, so I actually studied English and Swedish. Um, so I did that in Belgium and I also did uh, went abroad to Sweden to Jetsborg, which is really cool. Um, and then I went in more of the cultural side of things. So I went to work in a cultural institution as my internships and focus on that. Um, but the business element somehow always got my attention um, and this is what led me to do like an extra master's degree in, in the global management that you say because I I don't know I just felt so privileged to be able to do it because it was in three different continents and three different business contexts so you have the cultural aspect and the business aspect together and that's what really yeah drove me to apply for this program and that I was really happy that I got it. That is it sounds like an incredible experience and um Two, a two-part question for you. So how many languages do you actually speak? Um, so I'm fluent in Dutch and English. Uh, my French is pretty decent, but a bit rusty. <laughs> um, and my Swedish is, is also good, but not as good as when I was studying. But uh, I think it's really on my list for this year to take it up again. Uh, nice. And I did like a, a beginning of Norwegian, <laughs> but because Norwegian wow. and um, Swedish are so close, I started off in Norwegian and I ended my sentence in Swedish. So my teacher was not that happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll have plenty of time to uh, catch up on your Norwegian and uh, Swedish this year. And going back to uh, when you when you started your master's, um, three different continents, completely different from what I can tell. Uh, could you tell us something about the the main differences between those and then something that maybe you you experience that kind of continue if not changing shaping who you who you are and that kind of gave you that extra push to to then go into the profession that you currently have yeah definitely i think so we started in antwerp which was of course my home base um, then it was a lot about like macroeconomic elements, microeconomic elements, financial aspects, so a bit more really economics, economics. And that was the home base, right? Um, but we had people from all over join, a lot of people from India, then some from Africa and the US, and then other countries in Europe. So it was definitely a learning curve then how to work with other nationalities, like, work, like we were 20 people, right? You're working together constantly. How do you deal with that? Um, and then when we went to India, we focused on a bit more of softer elements like the HR part, the human parts, uh, and also the social parts, uh, because India has quite a lot of social initiatives. People are really thinking of how can we help each other, do good for each other, um, which was a big contrast to then going to New York, which was the most capitalistic part of my education, um, but also really good. Like I had this crazy finance professor and he taught me so much about the value of money and investing and how you should do it and all these numbers, my brain. Uh, yeah, I, I'm more for the words, less for the numbers, but uh, it definitely made me work for it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think... I started that program thinking like, oh, I know quite a bit about the world. I'm still young, but I think I know how the world works. Every time again, I was like, I have no idea how the world works. I have no idea how other people work. Like I'm constantly surprised, amazed, challenged. Um, it, it definitely made me very humble as a person. Um, and yeah, wanting to know more and more and more about different cultures because yeah, the differences are just amazing. Challenging yeah. though as well, but amazing. <laughs> And definitely it's something that maybe took you to good shipping in the end because of your purpose and trying to mix your personal life with your job, as you were mentioning. So this is a very interesting and innovative industry and it's changing the way we transport the cargo like a lot right now. So can you tell us what is exactly good shipping for the people that doesn't know you yet? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so Good Shipping is a decarbonization partner uh, for reducing your emissions in transportation. Um, so that's what the industry calls scope three emissions, so your indirect emissions. And it's just people transporting goods all over the world. Um, like IKEA is one of our clients. They have their furniture going from Europe to the US, let's say, uh, but they don't own the specific boats that their goods are on. But they are the ones responsible for the CO2 emissions because, because of them, it's going from point A to point B. And what we do is called uh, a fuel switch. So we will calculate how much fuel is necessary to move it from A to B, and then actually go from fossil fuel to biofuel. Uh, and that, that's really good because biofuel is made from waste and residue streams only. So that means it has to be a waste product and we then make it into oil. And then the result is at the end, they get their CO2 emissions reduced um, to go carbon neutral, is that, if that's what they want. And they know they've really had this impact on the energy transition because, because of them, there's now biofuel in the system instead of fossil fuel, uh, which is still quite an innovative concept. So, and just to be clear about that last part that you mentioned, so you go from fossil fuel to biofuel and uh, following the example that you mentioned with IKEA, then are then the uh, the vessels that they're using then kind of going and tanking with a different fuel? Is that the case or just basically just offsetting this in a, in a market or how, how does it actually work? Do you, I, I kind of picture like someone really tanking, like putting the extra fuel or the other fuel for the to the vessels exactly it's a bit of both so if you would have to find every specific ship that has ikea goods and then put a little bit of fuel in all of them uh, we would actually be emitting more co2 so that's <laughs> not what we're doing <laughs> but what we do do is we we bunker that's like the term for it in ocean freight we bunker the amount of fuel necessary for ikea in one specific ship so we are responsible for the biofuel, for the actual bunkering of it, uh, and actual measuring of the CO2 reduction. Um, but it's been done on a mass balance base, and that's actually the same as in the electricity industry or the cacao industry or the cotton industry. So it's just the most optimal way from a supply chain perspective to reduce emissions. Makes sense. Well, and how, how did you end up uh, working for such an interesting and kind of a uh, purpose-driven company like Good Shipping? Tell us a little bit more about how you end up there and, and what are some of the challenges that you're currently facing? Uh, so, yeah, like uh, I think I mentioned in the beginning, so I was looking, I was at this pivoting moment, you know, right at the beginning of COVID, everybody's at home. You start thinking about where I am, where do I want to go? At least that's what I had. <laughs> um, and um, I was just at a point that I realized, okay, I want to change course. I want to take a new step in my personal and professional career. Um, and I was looking at parts in the world and Amsterdam and Berlin really stood out. Uh, and then what really drew me to Amsterdam was that there's just a lot of innovative companies here. Um, being green is a bit more, a bit easier in the Netherlands than in Belgium, I would say, just because companies are a bit more used to it. Belgian companies definitely want to reduce carbon and really want to go for it. But in the Netherlands, or let's say Amsterdam, it's it's so much more the norm already. Um, so I had a lot of companies that I could contact, that I could reach out to. And yeah, when I found this one, I was like, okay, perfect. It's like my supply chain background, and then it's like super green. Uh, that's, that's how kind of how I ended up here. Uh, and I must say my best friend also wanted to move to another place and was going to Amsterdam. So we definitely had an impact on each other. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. So a bit personal and professional. 
Yeah. And what are some goals that you have for this year and for the future? Uh, for me personal or for the organization? Well, oh, why not? <laughs> uh, I, I think for me personal, um, I definitely want to grow with the organization. Um, I think when we started, we were like these, um, like a really rebel organization, like let's change the industry. We were the first, let's make a lot of noise. Um, and now we are maturing as an organization. I think that's also for me an interesting step to mature with it. Um, now actually taking care of way larger clients, um, really trying to have a larger impact and skill um, is definitely something I'm also still learning and I hope to grow with the organization. Um, so that's a goal for this year. What are some of the, uh, the challenges I'm guessing that you also get? Uh, I mean, I understand what you're doing and I'm super passionate about this as well, but I also think and respect people that might not be really a lot into uh, green initiatives or, or making the world a better place from like a natural resource standpoint. What are, what are some of the challenges that you guys face on a day-to-day -day basis and what do you see out there? Mm -hmm. I think, um, as you mentioned, like the logistics part and definitely ocean freight, it's been around for a very long time. It's a bit of an older industry, an industry that still takes a while to actually change. Um, so we do face some like really obstacles of people not wanting to change or not ready to also pay for change, like go to buy or go to yeah, a better alternative instead of the very easy, cheap solution right at hand. Um, I think another thing that's been interesting is you have these like scope one, two, three reductions and the three, the transport part has been neglected for a while. Um, a lot of people first put um, change their, their um, company itself, you know, like the factory, just really good, right? Optimize everything they have in, in their hands. But then the transport logistics parts, it was a bit neglected. Like who is responsible for this? People put it aside. Um, and then only last year at the United Nations Climate Conference, transportation was actually a topic on the agenda. So that's been like a really big driver of like, okay, we also have to account for these emissions, like logistics and supply chain is important. What can we do to lower these emissions and like on a global scale? Um, but that's definitely a challenge sometimes to get people excited to also want to make the change. It's a huge difference, right? And I think what's happening or what happened this past two years with the pandemic, uh, I think has actually um, put logistics and in, in our industry a little bit in the spotlight in many, many ways. And of course, it's been challenging for, for multiple reasons, but it also has been great for others, right? I think, as you said, changing some of the regulations and for all of a sudden, like people actually paying more attention to the industry and how we do things and how we transport things. I think that's definitely going to be definitely going to be exciting for the future and definitely going to be a good thing for the planet as well. So quick question uh, about what makes good shipping different right from other carbon offsetting companies and you've already touched a little bit on that but what other um, I guess competition what other ways of offsetting a CO2 and why going the uh, good shipping route what, why do you guys think that's kind of better? Definitely. Uh, I think most of all, we support all initiatives, right? So every kind of initiative that wants to reduce carbon, of course, there are different ones that are better than other ones, but we, we love to work together. I don't think there's one solution that fits all. Um, but what really makes us different is um, the industry has been calling it insetting instead of offsetting. And the main difference is that when you inset, uh, you reduce emissions inside the industry where you emit them. So you have emissions from transportation and you also reduce them in the transportation industry. 
And that's been really nice for us um, to have a bit of backup from this as well, like from more framework side, calling it in setting, getting some support here. Um, because we do try to stay as close to our supply chain as possible. It's, it's not like we're doing something in other continents, but it can be, but we're really trying to be as close as possible. And I think that's something that set us apart. Uh, and also because we've been bio from the start, you know, uh, we have these bigger companies that now have a bio alternative, definitely a good, good way to go forward. But we, we've never done anything else. We've just been green and bio all the way. So that's, I think, also something that sets us apart. Makes perfect sense. And of course, it's very, very powerful uh, in yeah. setting, as you mentioned. That's definitely mm -hmm. a, a big, big advantage. I have a quick question for you uh, before we jump to the lessons that you have learned. Uh, I read the other day on your website that you only use recycled uh, materials for developing the biofuel. So I was thinking that's great, uh, but you need a lot of recycled materials. So where do you get all of that stuff from? Yeah. Or do you have a low on recycled uh, like raw materials for this? Good question. And a question I get asked quite a lot. So it's definitely a concern for people. <laughs> but um, yeah, it is indeed, it's always a waste or residue stream that exists. So it's some kind of waste that we give a second life. Um, and it's just if everybody on the whole planet would go from fossil to bio tomorrow, yes, then there's not enough. That That's for sure the case. But with the current demand, we definitely have enough. And also it's been really nice because there's an increased demand, which also means increased money to the industry, which led to more developments with new ways of actually changing this waste. Um, our, we have an innovation team and one of my favorite projects is around... Um, actually the bottom of a sewage. So in the sewage, you have this, like the bottom at the, at the yeah, really the bottom, literally. And they're trying to see if they can make that into biofuel. And I'm, for me, that's so crazy because what else are you going to do with waste in sewage, that's right? That's incredible, yeah. yeah. So it, it's not life yet, but I hope we get there and that would just be another, yeah, crazy source of like feedstock for our fuel, but also be a really cool way to, to make something of, something that's not being used right now at all. So. And talking about this, uh, uh, did you ever have to change the formula or are you planning to change the formula of your biofuel uh, because of the demand? Uh, I think what's important there is we also work with a blend. So when you have these giant chips, uh, we can do a blend of fossil and bio because sometimes we don't have enough for it. <laughs> these ships are really really big <laughs> um, <laughs> so we can do a blend but we have a few structural partners like USCC and Samskip that do continuously 100% um, so they run on 100% bio and they're really the first ones to do it uh, definitely on a structural basis uh, and that's been really cool like that has an impact as well on how we can grow uh, I was just thinking well this is very interesting and you guys are the first doing this so what are some important lessons uh, learned in the last few years? Uh, some important lessons of the last few years. I think there's been many. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think um, really hanging in there has been an important one. At the very beginning, we got a lot of questions. Can the engine survive this? Are you to be trusted? Why would we use you? Why would we uh, not stick with what we already have? Like, we really had to be an advocate and keep going and going. Um, and it's been really nice right now that we have a lot of more support from the industry. Uh, people start to know us, good fuels, good shipping. Um, we have a good reputation. We are a sustainable partner. Like it, that really helps us a lot in growing. 
Uh, and I think the pandemic is one of those crazy things where, of course, we felt an impact. It's been hard on costs and how do we deal with that? But it has led to a giant increase in demand because people are all of a sudden waking up, realizing that the world is, is really in trouble um, and that they maybe should be start doing something about this. So in, in that crazy sense, it's helping us forward. I don't know. It's sometimes we have so amazing plans of where we want to be in five years, but I don't even know if we can even say these things, you know, because everything keeps changing so fast. Yeah, we definitely, definitely live in like a very changing environment. Um, and, and I think it will just continue to be that way going forward. But it's important that we at least are trying to do the right things. And of course, good shipping is um, a leader uh, when it comes to uh, trying the best and doing whatever it's needed to make the world a better place. So that's why we kind of love uh, your company and your cause and, and why we're so kind of humbled and, and, and proud to, to kind of be talking to you today and then also uh, working with you as well uh, for Vector. What do, I, what do you think? Uh, and of course, we, you talked about the benefits that the world could gain of this. And I think people in general understand what the benefits are, right? I mean, they, they see it. I feel... I honestly feel that they, they see it. Um, but is, are there any metrics or any kind of, um, how, how do you measure success in, in, in an industry so kind of political these days and so kind of crazy, yet we see the need for biofuels and, and offsetting CO2? What do you, what kind of metrics do you keep track of? Uh, I think definitely personally and also as an organization, we set targets and number of tons of CO2. So we really try to not only have a target in, in revenue, but our CO2 target is the one that drives us. Um, I think definitely uh, growing our portfolio and we started with really like purpose driven organizations, which are just like us. But I think a measure of success is also when the bigger companies will make a change because no matter how you want to change the world, if the big ones don't put their stamp on it and put the money behind it, the industry is just not going to change. Um, so the fact that, that BMW and IKEA and DHL and others have really supported us was for us a measure of success. Like it's, it's really inspiring others to also change. And for me, a measure of success is also getting into new segments. I think personally, I've been working a lot on the fashion parts. And there's just a lot of questions coming from the consumer. What are you doing with your materials? But also, how are you transporting all of that? And getting to be a part of the solution to that, like helping consumers realize how their goods are being transported. I think that's also a measure of success of our organization. And has the culture uh, a determining factor, determining sorry, factor on your clients? Like, or is there any like people from specific cultures that try to work more with you than others? Oh yeah, good question. I think uh, internally we have more than 11 nationalities, so that's nice. <laughs> uh, I think externally, uh, we're definitely still growing on that one, but um, we started in the Netherlands, so we have a strong base in the Netherlands, Central Europe, but we've also grown quite a lot in the Nordics. You see that people from the Nordics are very open to green and alternatives. Uh, but we're also going abroad a lot. We just opened an office in Singapore. Uh, so that's a whole other culture yeah. than the Dutch. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just doing a few bunkings in Singapore, opening an office. Um, and the U.S. market is definitely also a next step for us. We have some U.S. clients almost at the verge. I can't say their name yet, but I hope they're coming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's definitely a market that we see a lot of growth potential in as well. We 
we can service people globally and it's also a global shift that's happening. So I, cultures are, are definitely helping us, but I, it should never limit us. I think we can, we can be as global as we want to be. We just need to work together. Congratulations. I mean, great, great success and um, huge uh, kudos to you and good shipping for opening Singapore, targeting the U.S. and just growing worldwide. We we really need companies like you and, and of course, you, uh, your company to, to keep doing this. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's exciting times. I'm curious just to know what comes next. <laughs> so speaking of uh, what comes next, what is your projection of for the following year? I mean, how do you see and maybe if you can tell us a little bit more about like the more imminent future, like the next couple of years, where do you see this industry heading? And then, of course, your projection for maybe the longer term, like 10, 15, 20 years from now, what are we going to see when it comes to uh, CO2 uh, emission and, and, of course, good shipping? It's it's now 2022. Uh, as you definitely see, a lot of companies say goals for 2025, 2030. Um, so if they keep their words, those two milestones should have a very big impact. Uh, a lot of people are pledging to reduce 20%, 30% by 2025. So that's a sign that demand should only go up. I think I think the world's ready for it. Um, biofuels are a solution right now, but looking to the future, I don't think they will be the only solution. Um, there's a lot of new developments. You can see a lot of other types of renewable fuels. And I think the future is hybrids. I don't think it's going to be fully biofuel. I think it's going to be a mix. Like you see on road, already electrification is really big. On ocean, you see gas is growing. Um, Ships are being made for the future, but that's a good thing is that we don't have to wait for the future. So I'm just hoping it's going to be something that goes hand in hand, that companies don't only say like, oh, by 2030, I'll do that, but they don't do anything right now. That's a fear I have. That's really a fear that people will just wait, wait, wait until they have to reach the targets. But I'm an optimist. <laughs> so I think they will start reducing now. And I don't know, I, th I think the world will be a different in like five to ten years i think this will become more and more of the norm and we will look back and think how are we even in this world where emitting co2 was so easy and fossil was so cheap and we had to do nothing i i really hope that it's a thing of the past and that we all get to live it very soon <laughs> hopefully so well the interview is getting to an end uh, but before we go how can our listeners connect with you and support good shipping or learn more about you uh, yeah, definitely. You can always reach out to me. I think there will be like a link somewhere, but you can just find me on LinkedIn with my full name. Feel free to send me a message anytime. We're very reachable. Uh, and also on our good shipping website, we have our phone number and our contact uh, inbox. And we're still a growing organization, so we're pretty reachable. <laughs> Let's put it that way. We're always open for partnerships. Uh, we love to grow together with people in the industry. We don't want to do it alone. We have partners on every part of the whole chain. So uh, feel free to grow with us and uh, yeah, be one of our firsts in new continents maybe. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, for, for everyone for, for everyone listening to this episode and we'll definitely put all those different notes and contacts and links to not only you, but good shipping and you have a bright future. I truly believe that uh, doing things the right way pays off and you have an amazing organization. This has been an incredible conversation. Thank you very, very much for doing what you're doing. Please pass this uh, thanks to your entire good shipping team. Uh, what you're doing matters. I think what you're doing is changing the world. So never give up, keep it up. And um, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been, this has been great. 
Yeah, thanks so much. Indeed, I have the most amazing team behind me from legislation to innovation projects to sales and marketing. Like, you, yeah, they're just an amazing bunch. I'm just happy to be a spokesperson today. <laughs> if you had to challenge our audience, um, Katarin, one more time before we close our episode today, um, what would you tell to our audience? What would you challenge them with? Uh, I often ask people, like, if you would scale your company on a scale from 1 to 10 right now, on a sustainability scale, where are you right now? And then as a follow-up, why are you not doing anything about it? Well, there you go. Very powerful last words. Catherine, thank you once again uh, very much. Thank you to everyone listening to Logistics with Purpose. Once again, this is Enrique, Moni, and the team at Vector. Uh, thank everyone. Thank you very much uh, to Supply Chain Now as well. And again. If you like the conversations, if you want to keep listening to uh, interesting people changing the world and making it a better place, don't forget to subscribe. Have a good day. Bye.